You're listening to the JTD Coaches Me podcast with your host, Joanne Tierney Daniels. Tune in as Joanne chronicles her journey from imposter to empowerment. Joanne discusses real life with real people. You'll be captivated by her guests and their stories. Regardless of whether you leave laughing or crying, one thing is certain. Each episode will make you think about life from a different perspective. Listen in, enjoying the journey as Joanne and her guests explore the best strategies to promote personal growth, find your authentic self, and live your best life. Hi, I'm Joanne Tierney Daniels, a life mindset and relationship coach and the host of the JTD Coaches Me and JTD Coaches Teens podcast. Today, I'll be talking about healing, the strength of self-awareness and the power of finding your personal truth. So many of us squander valuable time measuring ourselves to other people's standards without establishing or adhering to our own. I spent decades concerned about the opinions of others and assigning blame outwardly for the limitations I was imposing on myself. At some point, we must hold ourselves accountable. Our path to freedom and happiness depends on it. We can't continue to blame childhood relationships and trauma for our inhibitions. That's not to minimize anyone's story. I recognize that some people have been egregiously wronged, but I believe if you do the work, you can come out on the other side of horror. Don't carry the sins of others and impose a lifetime sentence on yourself. If you're holding on to those individuals, crimes, and circumstances that hurt you, they've already stolen enough of your life. These are complex topics that can't be solved in one podcast episode, but we can start the conversation today. We may need some help, though, so I'm calling in a heavy hitter to help us navigate these complexities. My guest today is Jocelyn Bellows. Jocelyn is a breakdown to wake up coach, author, motivational speaker, writing coach, and host of her own podcast and television show. She works with clients both individually and in group settings. Jocelyn provides her clients tools and resources, which equip them to break through from their own limiting thoughts and beliefs. Her unique coaching approach provides results and transforms lack into limitless possibility. Jocelyn's mission is to elevate others to achieve success by discovering why they hinder their own potential. She does this by sharing her knowledge and wisdom with an infectious wit and her perpetual smile. Please join me in welcoming Jocelyn to the podcast. Hi, Jocelyn. Hi, Joanne. Thank you so much. It's it's so interesting. (laughs) Every time I hear the introduction, I'm like, wow. I guess I've, I've accomplished a few things in my life, but it still it still blows me away sometimes. So, yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're pretty <laughs> impressive. So we have a lot of ground to cover. So I want to jump right in, and I intend to take advantage of every minute we have together. So it's easy to forget that we never really know what's going on inside other people's lives. As a podcast host, I'm constantly reminded that everyone has a story, and those stories often include secrets and dysfunction and heartache. Some have unimaginable trauma, and society has become exceptionally good at masking reality. Our social media pages are filled with filtered photos and inflated accomplishments. From the outside looking in, your life prior to your breakdown looked amazing. Please tell the listeners more about your story and how you found yourself in Colorado. Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you for setting that up so beautifully. I currently live in Colorado. I'm actually marking it, I think, four years ago since we bought the house. And it took a few more months before we actually relocated. So about three and a half years since we moved from Pennsylvania to home, which is Colorado. And really living up to that point, if I really look at my life, I had a storybook life in a lot of ways, right? I 
grew up in a upper middle class family in northern central New Jersey. Very nice home. My parents to this day are still married. I'm the oldest of three kids. Had the luxuries of not only having a great education, but being able to go to college. During my college years, I actually got to study abroad for a semester and got to travel around Europe and then spent a month traveling around Scotland on my own at 21 years old. And the storybook, really storybook life, right? I had everything that I ever needed and more. Graduated, worked in New York City in my 20s. And in my late 20s, I met my now former husband. We dated for a period of time, broke up, got back together, got married some short time later. And a few years after getting married, well, in the process of starting our life together as a married couple, we opened our first business. Um, we opened and operated a downtown mountain bike park. Two years later, we opened a bicycle shop in the small town that we were living in, the Poconos in Pennsylvania. And in that process as well, we had a child. So again, looking at my life from an outside perspective, from that Facebook view of life, I had everything. I had a marriage. I had, at this point, our second successful business. I was in a senior level position working in the organ and tissue donation industry where my company my company was doing quite well. And it's, at one point, we actually looked around and said, wait, we need some partnership to really sustain the future and thrive the future. And this position I was sitting in, I helped to create that merger. So we went from a small 30-person company to merging with the largest organization of its kind in the world in the very niche space that we were working in. So you write all those accomplishments down of what life is supposed to look like and what we script life with what it's supposed to be. I had all those boxes checked except one, my own happiness. That's... I was miserable and I didn't know why. I didn't know why. I didn't have that answer for myself of when is it going to be enough? You know, we've got the income coming in. We've got the house, had the dog and the two cats and all the things. And yet I drive home on a Friday afternoon, pick up my son from daycare, and which was, you know, I was grateful for because that was, I knew that at least for myself, I was like, I didn't necessarily want to be a stay-at-home mom. And God love these women who can do it. That was not something that was aligned for me. So I, I had the grace of having that component. But I come home on Friday afternoons and just not only be depleted, it's like, what am I going to do with myself in this, in this weekend? What makes me happy? Because nothing made me happy. And it wasn't until at some point my now former spouse and I had started conversations about relocating. We both know that we wanted to head west. I always thought California and he'd always wanted to be in Colorado. So we took a trip out here to Colorado and said, yeah, this has all the things that we wanted for raising our child, like the outdoor activities, sunshine, the warmth. There was a real, and when I say warmth, it wasn't just the physicality of like the sun shining on our faces. There was a lot of warmth in people and watching people interact. And I was like, wow, that seems to be filling the void of that happiness piece that I didn't seem to have within me. And so I'm looking around, you know, this environment and saying, yeah, I want that. So it was a very easy decision for me to say, let's do it. But in order to make that move, I walked away from my career, short time later, closed our business. And I had all of a sudden had this time when I was back, when, I, when we first moved to Colorado, I had this time to really like do an evaluation of diving in deeper. Why am I so unhappy? And what's coming up for me? What's coming up for me? What's coming up for me? And it was the first time in my life because I'd run through my life, not 
motivated through it. I run through 40 years of my life and never sat down and did reflection on who am I. That's powerful. And that was when I really took that dive inward and said, okay, I've got all these things. That's not it. That's not what's making me happy. And some of you guys, if you can hear in the background, I hope that the noise is great. My cat is here. He's very talkative and he likes to be part of the conversation. And it was in that stillness that I started to recognize who I'd become. My worth had been tied to my work, the job that I did. Also, I wasn't working. It was tied to the fact that I was a wife and a mother. But there was nothing about Jocelyn anymore. Jocelyn seemed to be gone. The woman that once, as a child, once loved to play soccer was gone. And there was, there was no fire inside of me that wanted to get up every morning. I was just listless. Inside of that, I recognized how heavily my, my marriage wasn't aligning. You know, this is not on him. Yes, he had his own part to play. But for me, I wasn't receiving love in a way that I wanted to be received. I was supporting his dreams and his desires and his actions, but I didn't know what my own dreams and actions and desires were. I dishonored all of that. I dismissed all of that. And I made a decision about three months after moving to Colorado that I had to walk away from my marriage. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what life was going to look like. I had no idea. All I knew is that the situation in the life I was living could no longer sustain. I took that and I went ahead and I filed for divorce. And in those weeks and months to follow is when I really started to discover who I really am. I changed my, I shifted my diet tremendously. On the days that my son was with his father, I turned my phone off for days on end. I didn't communicate with the outside world because I knew it was so easy for me to get wrapped up in the Facebook profile of what life is supposed to look like. Of, you know, watching my friends have these beautiful lives with these happy marriages and happy kids and great jobs and all the things I thought I had, well, that I did have, except for the happiness piece. I had to tune that out because no one was coming to save me. I lived my life in a way that I tried for other people to fill that void for food to fill that void, for people to fill that void, for alcohol. And I didn't have any problem with alcohol, but it was this constant reaching outside of myself to fill the dis-ease within myself. I know you also said that there was, uh, you know, your husband had some narcissistic tendencies and people with those tendencies make themselves feel big by making others feel small. And in most cases people aren't whole who enter into these relationships, then any semblance of self-esteem or self-worth that we have is quickly dismantled. Did you see any red flags going into the relationship? And if so, how did you convince yourself to just turn a blind eye to those troubling traits? Absolutely, I did. And I'll share a specific story around that. It was about the time that we were, yes, we were engaged at this point. And my fiance at the time, he'd had a pretty stressful job and he walked away from this job. And I was actually grateful for it. And he always blamed me. He's like, you walked you, I walked away from this job for you because you it made you so miserable. Well, okay. It also made you pretty miserable too. So he did that, number one. Then he came home one day and said, I want to open a downhill mountain bike park. He'd been a pro- professional level racing. He'd been racing at a professional level. So he'd been very good. But my response in that moment was, why 
why would you ever risk our safety and our security by going after this big, audacious, hairy dream, right? And that's a nice way to put it. There was a lot more expletives. I'm from New Jersey. <laughs> I had to swear in this, in this conversation. But there were a lot of expletives around that. Why would you do this? How could you possibly do this? The bullet points of the bulleting of me at him of how could you do this to me, right? This, how could you do this to me? And his response is, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do it anyway. And I will tell you, I sat with that and said, how could I possibly move ahead and be and spend a lifetime with someone who who's diminished me that much? Now, this was the scope I looked at it at that point. And I still look, I mean, I, I recognized a lot in there, but how could someone who I thought loved me not care enough about my feelings in this? It was just completely dismissed. And you know what? He went and did it anyway. Having said that, it was in that time frame that I, were, I, I just questioned it every day for weeks on end. And what I would do, and this is the sickness, right? I go upstairs because I had the wedding dress in the house at this point. And I go try on that wedding dress and picture what it was going to be like on my wedding day. And I attached myself to an event of how excited I was. Finally, someone finally loved me. This is the, this is the disease state I was in. He doesn't love me enough to care about my feelings. I finally have someone who loves me. Both sides of that equation was fighting in my head. Now, that's just one example of it. I mean, there were so many spaces and opportunities where I felt just diminished and, and I even didn't feel like my voice was heard or, or respected. And I want to be really careful with this too, because it, as much as he had a role to play in this, this is also, I have a big responsibility in this, that I didn't love myself enough. I didn't know how to love myself to say, this is good for me or this is not good for me. I came into that relationship with lack. I came into that relationship not feeling whole and complete about myself. And that was a fervent ground for someone with that type of personality to say, this is great. I can prey upon the weaknesses. And that's exactly how our relationship worked. That's how it worked is that I show up and I came again and again and again and again. And it was all the responsibility of why life was failing around us was placed on me. Yes, there wasn't a lot of personal responsibility on his part. And I also didn't, and there wasn't a lot of personal responsibility on my part. I didn't stand up for myself and know this, say, no, this isn't okay. This isn't how I'm going to be treated. It really was that thread that I came upon much, you know, at 40 years old to say, wait a minute, I'm not going to live like this any longer. Finally, I hit my breaking point. This is no longer okay. I'm no longer going to tolerate living my life this way. So it wasn't just him. He might've been a catalyst for it. It was truly how I was showing up in life when every aspect of it, it's how I showed up somewhat subservient in my career. Even though I was in the leadership role, I always bowed down to someone above me who was in a leadership. Even though I was a leader, I always had someone above me and I'd say, whatever you want to do, I will do. It was never me standing up in my power and saying, this is who I am. This is what I'm capable of. I am this person and I'm okay with who I am. That piece of Jocelyn didn't really exist for 40 years. Moments of that did, but it really was when I hit the lowest of lows and walked away from career, 
from a marriage, from everybody that I knew. I was fortunate I knew a few people out here in Colorado, my hometown, but everyone and everything that I knew was eradicated from my existence. And I was starting over. And I wrote a book last year. It came out at the end of 2020. It's called Breakdown to Wake Up, A Journey Beyond the Now. And I brought together myself and 15 other authors from around the world. And we all came together and shared personal journeys of us really having major breakdowns in our lives and who we find ourselves to be in that weight. You know, when we're at our lowest of lows, when we can't see ourselves out of our own tunnels, yet we know that there's a spark with deep embedded in our being. Keep saying, keep going. You have more to offer. That piece of your story will resonate so poignantly with women because so many people concentrate on the event, the wedding and not the marriage. And I think they lose themselves in that. And the demise of your marriage signaled the end of one aspect of your story, but led to the greatest chapters of your life. And I think part of finding our truth is acknowledging the untruths and the lies we tell ourselves and utilize as excuses and, and crutches to remain exactly where we are, even when those situations are unhealthy. So what were some of the internal falsehoods that you had to recognize to facilitate your personal growth? Oh gosh, so many. I want to say on your point there, it's unbecoming who we are not to getting back to who we have always been. Because when we are when we arrive, you know, when we're infants and we're newborns in the first several years of life, we arrive whole and complete. And we have always been whole and complete. We abandon pieces of ourselves along the way to make other people happy, to receive love, to receive the income that we want, to receive the job, the opportunities we want, the friendships we want, the joy that we desire, the love that we desire. We give those pieces away. We give our power away all of the time because we hope if we do that, we fit into someone else's mold of what we want and what they want us to be so that we can receive all these things. For me, that's exactly the amount of template of my life. I continuously, I, you know, I've always been told I was pretty easygoing, but my easygoingness was I was giving myself away. I was giving up, chipping away what felt right and what was right for me to make someone else happy to be, be a people pleaser. So one of the examples, so before when we were living in Pennsylvania, I had a couple of friends. I had a one really, really good girlfriend. I didn't care for her husband very much, but I really liked her, <laughs> really enjoyed her. And she would continuously invite myself and my spouse to go out for dinners and come down to their house and whatever. And I go and she and I would end up going or she and I and her husband would go and my spouse never went. He'd always find some reason that he wasn't available. This is before we had our child, wasn't available. And I'd script excuses as to why he couldn't be there when it really was, he just didn't want to go. He didn't want to go and he didn't want to be a part of my life. They want to be supportive of it. And eventually I started turning down those invitations because I was carrying so much shame around my marriage because I wanted him to be there and he wouldn't be there. And I was like, okay, well, I'm going to keep making myself smaller because I really want the love from this other person. I want my husband to love me. So I'm not going to go out and be this bigger person and step into not just that was just one example of stepping into these these friendships, but just not just that friendship, but other friendships as well. And instead, I befriended his friends' wives because that was easier. 
because that would allow for us to have a community around us. And these other women that I befriended really enjoy being around. We just weren't aligned in our political beliefs and our social beliefs and how we wanted to live our lives. And I kept showing up because that was what was quote unquote easy, but it wasn't aligned for me. It wasn't the person that I wanted to be. You know, they, we, the education levels were vastly different. That's not to say that we aren't, you know, able to be a part of that, but the conversations and the level of intelligent conversations that we were having, it didn't make me feel good. It didn't make me feel alive. I felt like I had to dumb myself down to fit into their world. And it was painful. It was so painful to live in that way. I mean, I, I used to cry for every weekend, every weekend during the entirety of my marriage because something inside of me knew that my soul was being crushed and I didn't have the courage or the fortitude to say, I want something else. Not only do I want something else, I'm going to create something for myself. That's mine. I didn't do that. And I think women more so than men do that to themselves all the time. We cut ourselves short of what we're capable of for the the hope and the desire that we'll be accepted for who we are, for who we, we believe other people want us to be rather than actually just showing up for ourselves as into who we are. I agree. And when you began your healing process, you had to examine your physical and emotional well-being. You gave up drinking, yeah. you began a nutritional cleanse. And many people don't realize how intertwined our physical and emotional health are. And emotional pain often manifests itself physically in our bodies. Were you aware mm-hmm. of that connection when you began that process? I had hints of it. So I, I'm very fortunate. So I, I call like when I when I divorce, I call that my awakening, the beginning of my awakening, a real full-on spiritual awakening. I have a younger sister, and she'd had a full-on mental breakdown a few years prior to myself, a health crash, where she actually left her family home, checked herself into a facility for a period of time because she thought she was going crazy. And then when she recovered, when she took the time for herself to really recover and start her healing process, she actually moved out of her family home and stayed with a friend for another several weeks. Fast forward to this day, she's got a beautiful family, healthy marriage with the same person she was married to beforehand. So she had begun her process of beauty. She'd been on this path before mine. And today she's a health coach, actually. Because she was a couple of years ahead of this scale, she dropped hints to me along the path of... Jocelyn, why don't you try just eliminating sugar? Or why don't you just try eliminating gluten? Just try it. Give it a shot and see what, you know, give us opportunity to see what might might come through. I remember hearing her and actually not doing anything about it. (laughs) I really did. And what happened, part of the the journey is when, in the timeframe of me deciding I was going to leave my marriage, I had reconnected with someone that I got to high school with. I hadn't talked to in 20 years. I noticed her name had changed from her married name back to her maiden name. And she was really happy, like exorbitantly happy. And I was like, I want what she has because I was about to head into the dark tunnel, right? I was already sort of in the dark tunnel, but I had no idea what was coming. And I reached out to her and I shared just enough to where she opened the floodgates and said, Jocelyn, let me tell you what really happened. What my last three, four years of my life have been. And she'd been through a devastating divorce and narcissist and, really ugly stuff. And then she started to talk with me about what transformations she'd seen 
she, at the time she was, and she still does, she saw a nutritional, an MLM nutritional cleanse program. And I was like, you know what? That sounds good. Sign me up. Because that point in my life, I was willing to do anything that didn't resemble anything about my formal life. The exception of that was probably anything athletic because I've always been an athlete. And being on a soccer field, I still play at 44 years old. I'm still playing at every activity in the sporting industry makes me feel alive and hungry for life. So no, to answer your question, I had no idea that by clearing my gut, clearing what was in my body, that was going to allow for brain fog to clear. I didn't know what brain fog was. And I remember I was like, I think a week into the nutritional plans the program, one of the prerequisites for the program was no alcohol. And I'd already made the decision anyway, because I spent so many years in, in depression that part of one of those other decisions I made to myself is that I'm clearing the toxicity of my life up. I don't need to go down the road of depression. I'm not going to drink myself through this. Like I really have to face whatever's here for me, right? I'm going to own it. I didn't know what radical responsibility was at that point. A week into that cleanse program, I was giving my son a bath. He was, he was three years old at the time. And I remember like sitting up, like laying on the floor next to him. And all of a sudden, I just, I had this moment. And I remember looking out around the room and I was like, everything feels so clear. It was like a, this is what they've been talking about. This is what my sister's been talking about all along, about the brain fog. It's gone. It is gone. And I knew if I, all I kept saying to myself, I was like, I'm committing to this program because I signed up for it. And it was a couple hundred bucks. <laughs> and at the time, that was a big deal. And I put moreover, I was committing to myself and my health because I made this decision and now I have to start to take action on what I now want to script my life to look like, not just for me, but for my child and for other women who were going to go through. I knew there were going to be more women down the path that were going to go through this. I didn't know what I was starting, the revolution I was starting. I just knew that I made this commitment and I was going to see it through. And in the weeks and months to follow, that clarity gave way to colors being more vivid, smells being sharper, me feeling actually physically lighter. Yes, I was losing weight, but the physicality of my being just felt lighter. I felt more joyous. I woke up in the morning with this sense of, I don't know what's going to happen today. And I'm not really okay with, I don't know what's going to happen today, which later became, I am so excited for the unexpected. What amazing things can possibly happen today? It goes up and down. I'm not going to say I'm here or there all the time, but it was a monumental shift from living in this place of darkness and really like, how am I going to get through this day to like, I can't wait to see what today breaks. I think that's so amazing. And I know you touched on it before, but I just want to tell you, I love the book, Breakdown to Wake Up. I started reading it last week and I can't put it down. I almost had to postpone, our, I almost had to postpone our interview so I could just keep reading. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so I want to share it with the listeners, you know, please tell them more about the book and how it came to be. Yeah. So I want to go back to the clarity piece. So okay. since I started this, this nutritional cleanse, and I haven't stayed with the cleanse in particular, but I have really radically shifted my diet. When I talk about my diet, it's not just what I'm putting in my body physically. It's the people, the people that I have in my world, the conversations I have, the news that I do and do not imbibe. What's on my Facebook feed, which I rarely actually read a lot of Facebook, I, I deposit, but I don't take a lot out of it. It's that 
wholeness of what you're allowing into your being and what you're allowing yourself to absorb in all ways. And maintaining that level of, you know, removing the gluten, removing the sugar, allowing for more clarity. I've had what I call intuitive hits where I'll be listening to a song on the radio and I get this strike. Something comes through and says, Jocelyn, this is the next piece that you're going to act upon. I don't ask necessarily for it. They just show up. And that's sort of what happened with the book. So one of the first intuitive hits I really received, that was so clear. It's gone back a couple of years ago. I was driving out to do a hike one day and I live you know, really close to the Rockies. I'm maybe like 20 minutes from Red Rocks. So I was on my way out to do a hike. Song comes on the radio. I have this intuitive hit that says, you're going to start a podcast. I didn't even know what a podcast was by new. I listened to three of my life up to that point. By the end of that song, I had the name of the podcast, 20 people I was going to interview of what I was going to talk about. Wow. And I was like, I don't like my voice, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm going to do it anyway. So I launched that podcast. So the reason I shared that is now, so I have a podcast and the first podcast that I produce is called Leap, where I interview entrepreneurs about what inspires them to take a leap of faith in starting their own business. Because it takes a lot to really walk out and be bold and say, I'm going to do this, walk away from everything you know to really start on your own path. And I've been so inspired by entrepreneurs. So here I have this podcast and I was launching season, or in the midst of season two, amidst COVID. And I take this phone call from a, a Zoom call from a woman with the intent of having her as guest on my show. Now we had connected two months earlier, but nothing ever happened with that connection. The connection just sort of died, but something larger than me asked me to reach out to this woman again and say, hey, we never continued on that conversation. Do you want to reconnect? So here we are having this Zoom call and another intuition, intuitive hit comes in big. I can't stop it. And I asked this woman to be a guest on a, what was I doing at the time? I was producing a speaker series. That's what I was doing. And actually, let me, let me clarify this. The Words that were coming out of my mouth, I knew they were coming out of my mouth, but it didn't feel like me. I'd asked this woman to be a guest on a speaker series that I was producing as the words were coming out of my mouth. I had no idea. I didn't have a preconceived, I'm going to do this. I was like, hey, do you want to do this thing with me? By the end of the day, I had four speakers. By the end of that week, I had nine. So I was like, okay, probably something I'm supposed to be doing. And I'm just going to get out of my own way and I'm going to do it right? Something bigger than me is, is, is giving me this green light to go. And I'm just going to go with it. The following week, I called her back and I didn't know any much about her. I just knew how I felt in that conversation with her. And in that next conversation, she looks at me dead in the eye. And she said, Jocelyn, this is your book, right? This was it. I was sharing with her. I was like, the reason I started coaching was because I showed up and shared my story very publicly on Facebook. It wasn't like I was setting out to be a coach. It was people were literally sending their friends to me and saying, how the heck are you thriving? We're watching your story unfold and you're thriving. And my friend is going through this and she's terrified to leave, right? That's how the coaching started. So the book, I'm sharing, I'm relaying this to this woman. I said, this is why I do what I do. She said, you got to write a book. And I was like, I, I had an expletive. This was my first response to her. And then I, again, but then I couldn't stop it. The book came to be very, very quickly. A week later or two weeks later, I put a post on Facebook and I said, who's ready to step forward and share their own journeys of the darkness and the garbage that they've been through? 
and who's ready to share what they've been through and what they've learned and why that's been their best lesson ever. Now, most people won't say that about darkness, but when you get through it, often it's those dark times have been the reasons that we show up for ourselves because we had to go through hell and back. We had to lose our friends. We had to lose the job. We had to, you know, have our lives shaken to the foundation to make radical change for ourselves. So I put this call into the world, one Facebook post. Three months later, book was produced or the book was on, on the shelves ready for sale. And I ended up turning 10 authors down. Wow. Because I only wanted to, I was like, I can only passive handle 15. I also knew I was onto something. And so what it is, is this is a compilation piece. And we've got 15 authors from across five or six continents that came forward to share personal journeys. And some of them, I talk about my own divorce and who I discovered myself to be as a result. One of my authors, he actually was born in Jehovah, as Jehovah's Witness. Not only did he leave the religion, he also came out to his family being completely disowned by his parents and the community that he was born and raised in. Because once you leave the Jehovah's Witness, you're out. Yeah, you're out. Certainly they were not going to accept that someone was gay. So he talks about that journey. He writes a love letter to his mom. It is the most, it is so incredible that the wherewithal, because he does not have a relationship with her. She does not speak to him. But he wrote to her and said, I don't know how you must be in so much pain. And I am so sorry. And I want to let you know I am okay and I love you. I'm not on that chapter yet. Okay. <laughs> He's incredible. I'm very lucky. He actually lives here in Colorado. So we we've actually met face to face. And I haven't I, I won't, I don't know that I'll ever have the opportunity to some of my offers because of their physical location. I had another gentleman, Tomas, showed up and he his conversation. He talks about toxic work environments, which I think a lot of us can relate to. And a lot of the stories are very relatable. You can see yourself in a lot of them. But he was in a really horrific car. He was a mediator, an attorney, because his family told him that he was going to be an attorney. And he went ahead and went to law school, became a mediator, pretty much hated his life, pretty much hated his job, but he kept going because it was great money, right? Keeps tacked in. Had a horrific car accident to which he barely survived. And he promised himself that when he left the hospital, he was going to radically change. He was not going to go back to that life any longer. And that's exactly what he did. What was really amazing is as we were writing writing the book in a three-month timeframe of writing and having the book published, he recognized for himself he once again was in a toxic work environment. And he left that role in the midst of this book coming out. So talk about the power of our stories. Our stories matter. And this is why I'm a writing coach, because our stories matter. Our journeys, not only do they matter for us and they're part of our healing journey of unbecoming who we are not to, to live into the person that we really are, they serve as a survival guide for those who are behind you. Those of us who are, are going to be about walking they may not know that they were walking into that dark shadow, but they are in a dark place themselves and they can't, they don't see the light. They don't see the way out. I live with this motto and this credo is that we always have one hand behind us and one hand in front of us. And that credo is that there's the person that's behind you. If I'm here and I'm in a good, safe, strong place, I can lift someone else up because there's someone else in front of me who's doing exactly the same for me. I might look like I have this beautiful life. I mean, you've read my, my beautiful bio, but I'll tell you, 
There's, there's, there's some garbage behind the scenes. That's true. I mean, like I have my life together and I have a lot of work to do. <laughs> I still have a lot of work to do. And the reality is, is that I, I've learned and now I can hold space for someone else who is going to the dark place. And that's why the book is here. Well, I love two things about, well, many things about that, but I just happened to read today a quote and it was probably on Facebook and it said, you're allowed to be a work in progress and a masterpiece at the same time. So I've always loved that quote. And the other thing is that I dabble with writing all the time. You know, one of my dreams is to write and release a book and I write a chapter here, write a chapter there, and I've never really fully pulled it together. But how does it feel? I mean, I envision that end product all the time. How does it feel to have it out there and chronicled and published and and shared with the world? I mean, I'm always curious about that. What's it must be exhilarating. It is, but I'm going to actually, I'm going to turn this. Okay. I have an interviewer too. So I want to ask you something. (laughs) Because you're writing, because you're already on that journey, I'm going to ask if you can, if you're willing to do this live in the show, Mm. close your eyes for a moment and feel for yourself what it feels like to hold your book in your hand. It feels amazing. You know, I see Oprah at my book signing and and holding my book and my pen for me. (laughs) Yeah. What else? What's there for you? Just a fulfillment, a fulfillment of a lifelong dream just a feeling of accomplishment and just personal pride and just such a sentimental, raw act, an act of love to put your story out there. And I I just feel how powerful that is. And, you know, when I had my eyes closed, I just, I did, I envisioned, I could feel that sense filling me that that's those sensations. Yeah. Well, that's what it feels like. I mean, everyone has a different credo on it, but I also can tell, tell a real story. Because when I started that process, I did jump right ahead to, I already know what this book is going to look like. I knew what the cover was going to look like. I knew how the weight was going to feel in my hands. I had visions in my dreams of being in the center point and having all of these people moving towards me because I showed up. And there were tears of joy. There were tears of laughter. And there were tears of sadness and fear because it was all of that. It was, thank you for showing up. Thank you for sharing. I'm here. Those are the conversations I was getting in my dreams. I will also tell you that my ego got stuck, totally got stuck, got involved in this. The day that the book went on pre-sale, yes, I made my, my formal announcements because there's a lot of excitement around that. Plus I had 15 other authors who were like, here I am at the center point of this. And I've got other people who've come in and shared their very, very personal journeys. That day though, I think I put so much weight on that day and that moment that I expected, I had an expectation of it was going to be this massive, like big sales. And, and that's not what happened. In fact, that day I was on the phone with my publisher and I went, no, it wasn't the day before she had something happen in her world that she was like, I just, I can't, like I'm shutting down. And I was like, I think I put so much emphasis on being in this partnership with her that I was hoping to cross the finish line with her and she wasn't available to me. And I was totally just like, there was a gaping hole with that recognition of there was a void inside of me that I was asking someone else to fill. Two weeks later, the book book was finally out for publication and there was such a euphoria. Like, this is really the finish line. It really is out here. And the excitement and the joy and the exuberance around it. And, and not just with myself, because I had all these people to celebrate with, not just my family and friends. I was celebrating this accomplishment 
with all of these other authors who came forward as well. That's amazing. But the day that my book arrived, because my book arrived a few days after it came into publication, I sat with my book in my hands for about two days by the fireplace because it came out in November. And I cried because I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that this was real. Like, because it didn't feel real until I held, truly held it in my hands. And I remember at that point, my publisher was back online. She's like, you just take a picture, put it on Facebook and, and really make this big announcement. And I was like, I, I don't want to share this moment right now. This, this moment is my moment for me. It took a couple of days. Yeah, that's amazing. What would you tell others who are hesitant to take that leap toward the fulfillment of their dreams? I think that's so inspirational. Oh, do it. <laughs> do it. This is really honestly what I'd say is because I was, I didn't do it alone. Right. I had an accountability partner. I had my publisher who was also, um, a, you know, an author of strategist. So I had, she was my accountability partner for all of my other authors. I was coaching them through a lot of the process as well, because it was like the manuscripts would come through and we'd go through and edit and I'd push them harder and say, no, we got to go here. You got to go deeper. Like people want to connect with your heart and your soul. You're sharing some pretty beautiful things, but it's on the surface. And I know there's more inside of you. And so get an accountability partner who's going to have your back, who's going to make sure you're doing your weekly word count, your monthly word count, also the structure. Also, when you're in it alone, just like anything, like with anything, you know, you're a coach, so you understand, I'm certain you understand this. Like, and I am with a coach. Yes, we can understand this as solopreneurs is that we network with others, we are in community and conversation with others. This is the same rule applies for writing. When you're writing in your your head, it's just you in there. If you take a step outside of yourself and look about the world you live in, you have friends because they provide things for you. They enhance you in some way. You have a you know if you have a spouse or a partner or even if you're you know, if you're not in a relationship, you have a relationship with outside of yourself. Writing is no different. I absolutely encourage people, whether it's me, and this is not just you, this is me getting my high horses. This is really like, go find a coach that understands you, who knows what you're after and can be there to hold your hand because you guarantee you're going to have not one, multiple breakdowns in your writing process, especially because I, I specialize in autobiographies. That's what I want them for. It's so important that we bring our stories forward. Our stories, not do they matter, not only do they matter for us, when we show up, others get the permission to do that for themselves. But it takes somebody to step forward. And I, I say this, you know, if you ever think about, I'm going to ask you this, so you said Oprah, but I, I'm going to take Oprah out of the equation. Who is someone that you really admire, whether you know this person or not? Is there someone in your life that you're like, I really love this person? Yes. Who's that? Well, I, I have two. I have my father and I also have a, a friend, close friend. And and both okay. of both of those gentlemen I admire and I and I uh, respect their opinions in regard to anything intellectual. Okay. And why do you admire them? I admire them. They're very similar in some ways. I admire them. I respect them. I admire them because they're both honest and forthcoming, but they're both edgy and you know, they're not perfect. Neither one of them are perfect, but they've always challenged me in my life. And I think that they both know me in a way that other people do not. 
in different ways. One in particular, my friend probably knows me better than, than anyone for better or worse. And, you know, I appreciate that about that individual that sometimes I don't talk to him for long stretches of time, but I can reconnect uh, years later. And there's just this underlying bond that we have. And he shows up for you. He shows up because he just shows up. And like you, so you mentioned Oprah earlier as well. There's a reason that she's so admired, right? Lots of reasons, but one of these big totems is that she shows up for her life with no excuse about who she is. I am this person. I've been this way. I accept who I am in this moment. And she continues to do it, right? These are the people that you look at anybody that, that's in the public light that you really look up to. So one of mine, I have an author that I absolutely adore. Her name is Jen Sincero. She wrote the book. She wrote, she's the author of the series, the You're a Badass series. And part of the reason I admire her so much is that she speaks her truth. She's like, look, I act up my life. Right. I was destitute and at the end of my rope. And I recognized I have so much more inside of me. And I'm no longer going to tolerate my poor behavior. I'm going to step forward and keep stepping forward. That's why I admire her. And that's why I want to bring forward another and for authors to do is just to step forward and say, look, I've been through difficult situations in my life. Like two of my clients right now, one of my clients is writing her journey through parenting. She had a very traumatic childhood where she didn't have, she barely had a relationship with her mother. She really didn't have a relationship with her father. Her father was an alcoholic and abusive and beat mom up. And she was present for that. But she, when her father passed, watched how her mother transformed. Also had these two strong females in her life with her both sets of grandparents, with grandmothers that were present for parts of her childhood. And as she became, when she became a mom herself, how she started to create the same habits that she had grown up with in her childhood and recognize the behavior that she was receiving from her son and said, uh-uh, I am breaking, I am breaking the habits of what I was growing up with because I want to do it differently. I want my son and I to have a much better, healthier relationship. I want him to succeed. I want to succeed. But it takes someone to step forward and say that and own it and say, I messed up. I did. You know what? I'd love to see more of that in the Facebook world. I'd love for people to really show up and say, I messed up. And I'm not only surviving, I'm thriving because I messed up. I love this. I want to bring forward. I read something recently and it's similar to that. It said, when you heal yourself, you're saving your children's children. And I thought that that was so, so powerful because that's true. I mean, you're changing generations of trauma when you really address it. And, and I know that you have had trauma in your life. In, in your book, I read that you described sitting at home, weeping and, and screaming and, and sobbing for weeks after your divorce. I mean, take us back to that time and, and you rewrote your story and it takes so much courage to say, and I think part of it is you were saying goodbye to the pieces that, it's, that had served you, even though they were dysfunctional and caused you pain. I mean, what were those tears really representing? Were you grieving the only person you knew how to be at that time? That's part of it. Yes, I was absolutely grieving the person that I know myself always to be. I was grieving an idea. A lot of those tears post-divorce was grieving the idea of what I thought my life was going to be and the stark reality that was very different. The tears were I looked at my family and my parents who 
still are married to this day and are, and are friends, right? They actually enjoy each other. They gripe about each other, but they're friends, right? They still pre-COVID traveled all the time together and they enjoy each other's, they enjoy each other's company. And I was grieving. How did I fail so much? Am I ever going to have that love? And I was still looking outside of myself in a lot of ways. How could anyone ever love me because I'm such a mess? Did I make the right decision for my child? Because he's now in a broken home. And I had to redefine all of that to say, I am worthy of love. I always have been. And I'm going to take care of myself because I'm going to show people how to love me because I'm going to love me. And yes, I'm doing this not just for myself. I'm going to teach my son what love really is. And it's not an external love. It's I'm going to take care of my own needs. And when I do, people are going to show up. And that's exactly what's been happening. That's what's been happening the last four years ago. It goes up and down. But now I'm setting an example for myself of every time I return to eating well and I return because I, I have moments. I have had a, I've had a lot the last several, last year was a little rough. Corona, I, I, Corona, I, I fell off the diet and fell off the exercise plan pretty well. And every time I return to these healthy habits that make me feel alive and make me feel good, somehow magically money shows up on my account. I'm not even kidding you. New friends show up, invitations to activities, invitations for speaking engagements, new clients. These things all actually happen. But going back to your grief, I know I kind of jumped ahead. Those grieving moments were grieving the life that I thought I wanted, grieving the life I was hoping to have and realizing that that's not what I ever actually had, recognizing that I had to change. And I didn't know what change was going to look like. Patience was really so key. And that surrender was so key. Patience of going back to my 20s and take a moment and come back to my early 20s. And most of my 20s, I spent working in Manhattan, you know, in one of the the busiest cities in the the world, right? And I had a a job that kept me on the, I was on the road three or four weeks a month for periods of several months at a time. I rarely had any downtime. I worked. And when I wasn't working, I was out with friends. And when I wasn't out with friends, I was pretty much sleeping. I did not ever schedule downtime for myself because I was terrified to be alone with myself, with my own thoughts. Because once I did that, I had to really, you know, accept me. And it was funny. My mom reflected this to me. She said, Jocelyn, you hated to have an half an hour to yourself. You used to complain about it. And you know what? She was right. I did. I hated it because it was that piece. I just couldn't accept myself to fast forward to four years old. And all I had was an abundance of time. That's it. I made these decisions. I was like, I'm not talking to my husband. I'm actually not talking to my family right now who want to support and love me, but they can't save me. I have to save me. I have to take care of me. So I had... I wasn't, it was out of communication with pretty much everyone I knew. Didn't really know anyone in Colorado yet. My days were filled with going to the gym for three hours a day, seeing my coach, and sometimes going to yoga twice a day. That was it. And sitting in my bathtub for an hour and two hours and just asking something larger than me to, to deliver me to a happier place. 
And I just kept getting stronger that that concept that something was going to be better. And then I started dreaming about what my life was going to be. And it went from, please make this better to, I want to start writing things down about things that I want to accomplish for myself. And it started like, it was things like, I want to run my first half marathon. We have these things called 14ers out here where we've got these peaks, we can go 14,000 feet in the air. So we're above, you know, we're a mile high here to begin with, but they, you know, these, I started setting up forth accomplishments that I wanted to, to complete for myself, for me, for the first time in my life is like, what makes me happy? What feels good when I eat, eat it? Like this morning, I was like, I could eat like my son's breakfast cereal. It's full of garbage. <laughs> and you know what? I was like, no, I want an apple because I, I imagine what it felt like eating an apple. And you know, it felt really good. So that's what I had. And it's really that transition point of going from the woe is me, I'm the victim to scripting life on your terms and not being attached to what it has to look like. Be attached to the feelings of what it feels like. There's a key difference. And I don't know if you talk about this with your clients, but the universe understands your feelings. It will respond to the vibration of your feelings when you're feeling good about yourself and you're grateful for what you already have. You're more open and receptive. And then your life starts to get better. Just incrementally, incrementally. Start taking note. I started taking note of what was going well for me that day. Like it was sometimes it was really little things. Like I tried to go to the gym at the same time every day. I didn't know anyone that I was at the gym with, but I was in the community center and I started recognizing faces, <laughs> right? Seeing them every day. And although I never really created friendships with them, but one of them I did, because I was there on a regular basis, you start exchanging smiles. And then you start exchanging you know, a little conversation. And sometimes that was the only conversation I had with another human in that day. And I was like, no, I'm grateful for this. I'm excited that tomorrow I'm going to see Brian. And even though we don't talk, and I'm glad I just know his name. I'm excited that I'm going to see his face. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that the sun is shining into my bedroom today. I'm grateful I have a bedroom and a bed to sleep in. These little things. It doesn't have to be this magnificence because those little things build up to the magnificence. And gratitude is such a powerful force. I mean, when you live with a grateful mind, your life transforms. Change is hard. And not only is it hard for the individual, sometimes our, our friends and family prefer the old version of ourselves instead of the new improved one. And yes. once, once you started that process and embraced your true identity, how were the relationships in your life impacted? Dramatically, dramatically shifted to this point. I think I've got, well, it's been interesting. So I have two friends from college that I still talk to on a semi-regular basis. One friend who I'd lost touch with, I don't even, I can't even explain how we reconnected, but we did. And it turns out, well, she's been on her own magical journey. And now she's a Reiki master and a life coach herself. And so she and I have now connected in this whole new way because we've both been on our own journeys. But the, uh, the other relationships, a lot of them fell away. And that's part of like this growth. It's it, it, like, so when you talk about the grieving, that's part of the grieving. You agree your old way of being until you start to embrace, because it's so easy. We, we default to pain until we start to default to pleasure. And there is a gape. There's a gaping space between that. So to answer your question, yeah, a lot of my, almost all of my friends were, could no longer be in my space. Not because I didn't want them around. Some of them I didn't. Some of them I chose not to have in my life. I really, that was part of the toxicity piece from post-divorce. Many of them 
could no longer be in my space because I didn't serve them in a way that I was small. Because we, we create relationships based on who we show up to be, right? right? So one relationship with my oldest friend who we don't even speak anymore. And, I, and actually, this is really difficult, but I recognize why. But I would show up as a subservient person all the time. So she got to lead and make the decisions where we were going to go, what we were going to do, the activities we were engaged in, the conversations we'd have. When I started saying, I don't want to have this conversation. No, I don't want it. Like, no, no. That no longer served her and she's gone. And it happened with most of my relationships. Thankfully, because my sister was a few years ahead of me, she'd given me some pointers along the way. And this other friend, Jessica, that I connected with from high school, both had said, hey, just be aware. Know that you are on your right path. Trust yourself, but be aware of that this could potentially happen. And Honestly, at the beginning, it was really difficult because part of this too was my own scripting in my head. And well, none of my friends have been divorced. They can't possibly understand what I'm going through. And the one, the one that had was my friend that Natalie, who I'd reconnected with, the, the Reiki master, but years, several years later, no one could understand what I'd been through. And so it almost forced my hand to say, I want to find people that do understand me. I can speak my language and feel loved and accepted and honored for the person I'm becoming because that felt good. I don't want to go back to the person I was. That doesn't feel good anymore. I don't, and in fact, I, mean, I still do it, right? And it's not like a magic, you wave a magic wand and it's done. I mean, I still have a relationship with my former spouse. And, you know, I went through a breakup a year ago and I was in a pretty low space to the point that I'm like, this is amidst COVID and you can't see anybody that I was begging him to like spend time with me because I was so lonely that I went and made myself smaller to spend time with him so that I wasn't alone. These patterns repeat. The piece that we get to have, and I'm sure you work on this with your clients too, is that you have this awareness now. I have this awareness of who I am being and I can choose differently. I can choose to say, I'm actually okay with being alone right now. I don't have to make myself into this other person to receive his attention or her attention or make plans with that person because I know who I am. Yeah, this year has been difficult for me too. And I appreciate that you said that because I think as coaches and we slip and we falter, then I slip into that imposter syndrome. You know, I was at the top of my game before COVID, you know, now you gain a few pounds and you're exactly right. You, you let people in who you typically would be pushing out the door. Just the traumatic factors of this past year have really been an influence on, have had an influence on everyone. So I appreciate you saying that. I think that that makes us more Relatable. I think that, you know, nobody wants to be coached by anybody who's perfect. And that's one of your passions. I mean, that you like to figure out why people stay in intolerable situations. And how do your coaching methodologies equip people to make that leap and get out of there when, when it's not serving them? You know, a lot of the conversation is question. It's me being curious. It's just, you know, being curious with my clients about why to the point like, so you've been through this pattern before. How does it make you feel? And you write it down. How do you want to feel? Write that down. What actions can you take to achieve the latter? And allow them to make the connections for themselves. Some of my work is also in somatic work. Are you familiar with what somatic work is? Somewhat. I'm not, I'm not an expert in it by any means. Okay. So depending on the situation for the client in, in that session, what I also do is you know, what somatic work is we, we walk into our subconscious and 
rather than having a conscious conversation like face-to-face, eyes like that, I asked them to close their eyes and I asked them, and this is sort of, it was like kind of an example of what I did with you, with your book, what it feels like to write your book. I asked them what imagery is showing up around them. What are the colors? What are the feelings? What are the textures? What are the smells? Because everyone has different sensibilities that they'll, they'll bring in. Who are the people here with you? And these people that are here with you, what is it that you have to say to them? Because our conscious mind wants to, like our mind wants to think that we have it all, all the answers. Our subconscious is roaring. So when we relax our conscious mind, we can then dive into what really is happening, why we self-sabotage, the people that we have to cut ties with, the conversations that we have to have with people. So one of the exercises I do is I invite people to, to a fire, um, a fire pit. And sometimes that looks like a campfire, sometimes it's like a fireplace in a home, but the fire is significant because it's a place where we can be fully self-accepting and we can burn away everything that's not. And so when we invite the, I invite my, my clients, obviously I do this on an individual basis, I invite the client to a fire and I ask them to describe what they see around them. And then we sit in silence for a moment. Oftentimes, there's actually a lot, of, a lot of times there's a lot of silence. And then I ask if there's no one at the, at the campfire with them, who is it that needs to be here with you right now? Again, allowing the answers to come to them because they actually know the answers, but their conscious mind keeps blocking them from it. So when we settle into our subconscious, that person comes forward, the person that we have to have that conversation with. So we have that conversation with this person. Now, be honest, so like, here's, here I am. And let's say, you know, for me, I'm, I maybe need to talk to my mom. My mom shows up. We begin a conversation. I have a conversation with my mom about whatever the topic is that you talk to her about. I then transfer myself into her. What does she have to say to me about the situation? And we go back and forth until we get to a place where we feel resolved in that conversation. And inevitably, this is the magic. This is the most amazing part is when we start to resolve ourselves with those relationships external to ourselves, people can feel that energetically. And maybe it's someone that you don't talk to every day. They show up, phone call comes through, text message, Facebook post. You see them in their Facebook. Something comes through that they connect back to you because they felt, they have felt the energy shift. And it is not something I can explain anymore that energetically that's what's happening. And this person, that client, can start to take a step forward in their trust in themselves because now they start to see who they've been with this other person and either they're going to continue to tolerate it or they're going to shift. And once they continue to tolerate it, then we get a little heavier handed. And I've got some other exercises I use. I have a fear factor flow chart. What is the fear? What are the underlying pieces of that fear? What's causing you to feel that way? Is this really true? And we work our way through each individual fear because fears are just what we've made up in our head, right? People stay in toxic relationships because they're afraid that when they, if they were to leave, they're afraid they're going to lose all their money. They're afraid they're never going to receive love from somebody else. They are afraid of their housing situation. They're afraid for their child. They're afraid for themselves. They never, they cut themselves off before they even, we do it all the time. It's our default. I do it too. I do it too. 
I do at too. some point though, we just taking small steps towards something better and then observation and not creating it, just observing. So an example, literally this happened to me this morning. I'm not even kidding you. Last night, as I was falling asleep, I thought about my friend, Greg, who I haven't talked to in a while. And I don't know why his name popped through, but I was like, I wonder what Greg's up to. But I, I didn't have any reason to reach out to him, right? So I didn't. And do you know what I woke up this morning? To a message from Greg. <laughs> you can't explain it. But it's, you know, for me, and when I say this to my clients, it's confirmation. That's the universe confirming to you. Keep going. I'm giving you this little gift. Keep going. You are loved and you are supported. I love Always. that. Now, who is your ideal client? Do they come to you pre-trauma, midstream, or past the trauma and ready to move forward with the healing process? Yeah, ideally, no. Most of my clients are in the middle of the trauma and they recognize that they have to, but they don't know how. They, don't they just know. don't know how. So that's for that. And then for the writing clients is, it's, it's a similar, it's like, I know that I have this, this story and I'm afraid to write it. And I will tell you, every single consultation for the writing clients, more so than with the, the, the life coach clients and life coaching comes into the writing. There are always tears and the tears are always twofold. The tears are what happens if no one cares and oh my God, I have this powerful story within me. I need to tell it. And why am I being, it's both sides, the yin and yang. It is both sides of that, that coin. Speaking about the writing, I mean, I I hate to let you go, but I'm at my final two questions and I'm going to lump them in together. So, you know, I love the cover of your book. One, I'm curious about what the picture represents and the caption. And I think it's, what is it? A journey Journey beyond the now. now. What is the significance of that? Okay, I'll answer the second first. So the journey beyond the now is that when we're special, we're stuck in our trauma and we're in the depth of it. We don't see that, we cannot always see that light. We just are like, oh my gosh, her life is over, right? This is it. This is what the this is where my life is gonna be, this dark shadow, you know, my job loss, my relationship is ended. I don't know, I can't see any hope or happiness. So recognizing that this is just a blip on the radar of life. This is just a low point on the other roller coaster. That's it. So recognizing that the journey keeps going. You might feel this way right now, six months from now, your life is going to be dramatically different. And this is where you get to start to script your life, what you want your life to look like. The cover, this is a really fun story. So the cover, my, my publisher and I really went, went at it. This was the cover that I, I imagined it to be, was this explosive heart. I always, because these are very personal journeys, heart-based journeys, this is what I saw it to be. And what it for me, what it represents is our lives get to explode and expand. And when we have, when we're going through those parts, there's times in our life where we have to kind of collapse in ourselves. We get to, we get to do that. We have the permission to do that. And when I say collapsing, it's maybe we have to remove people from our life. Maybe we have to remove certain foods from our life, but we have to, you know, we have to like slow down. We live in a society of this constant busyness, but like slowing down. So bringing everything back in because I need to, to work on spend more time with me because I've gotten so caught up in someone else's business that I've forgotten to be in my center. So this explosion heart is like, yes, when I'm really great and happy and loving and joyful and have abundance, I get to spread more of me and share more of me. And when I need to, 
I get to come back to me. I love that. It's multifaceted. Multifaceted, yeah. The complicated and twisted. That's life. So before we go, can you tell the listeners where they can find you directly and learn more about you if they'd like to? Absolutely. You can find me at jocelynbellows.com. It's J-O-C-E-L-Y-N-B-E-L-L-O-W-S.com. And that's where you can find uh, find me about for the writing coaching, for the life coaching. You can find the book there as well, the Breakdown and Wake Up book. And, I, and if you want to book me for a featured speaking engagement, you can find me on uh, Connect With Me there. Starting April 6th, I will be hosting a four-week workshop called Write the Book in You. It's an introductory course for people who are on the precipice and they know they have a book to write, but they're having some challenges to getting started. So we talk about identifying your strength and capitalizing upon the strength and working through your writer's block to get those words out of your head and onto the page. Great. That's great. So I can't thank you enough for being here. It was just, uh, I enjoyed every minute of it. I'll speak to you soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Sarah. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the JTD Coaches Me podcast. You can find additional resources and information about Joanne at jtdcoachesme.com. Please make sure to subscribe to this podcast for updates and new episodes. You can also follow Joanne on social media under JTD Coaches Me. 